Oh, it was such a good time last week being able to, to preach in front of people again after having two months off. And so I, I just looking forward so much forward to that again today. Father, right now we just thank you that as we open your word, that Holy Spirit, you take hold with us. We thank you that you, you show us what your intention was when you inspired these people of faith to write what is written in our word. And so we just thank you that as you take hold us with us, that you bring things to our remembrance. You show us things to come. You lead us in your paths of peace. And you show us how to glorify the Father. And so we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I would like to start on a new series that is very closely related to what we just wrapped up with Shift. And uh, as I was, uh, I, I've already preached the online version of this. So that, you know, you guys get the, the, the joy of having me preaching it through the second time because I've already preached it for the online and so I've got to work out all the kinks. So I think you guys get the better version. <laughs> but if you want to join me in your Bibles in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and just for a little bit of context, where we have Jesus has just ascended back to heaven. He's left his disciples there. They kind of just watch him go up and disappear, and then he had left them with instructions that, you know, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that I promised you. And what was he saying is, I don't want you to miss the coming shift. I love that. You know, Jesus, he, he prepares you ahead of times for things that you're about to walk into. You don't need to be taken by surprise. You don't need to be blindsided. The Holy Spirit will prepare you. And so Jesus had told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's exactly what they did. They gathered in, they call it the upper room. There was 120 of them. And the Holy Spirit came down and rested upon them and said, like, as tongues of fire and they began to, to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance and they spilled out into the streets of Jerusalem and they're, they're speaking in other tongues and, and there was people, it was a festival on at that time and there was people from all over the region there and they began to hear them glorifying God in their own language and they said well aren't these, these just Galilean fishermen? Like how do they speak my language? And so they, they were taken by surprise and a bunch began to say oh don't worry these guys are just drunk and then Peter got up and he preaches the first New Testament message inspired by the Holy Spirit and he says these men are not drunk as you suppose and he begins to quote the prophet Joel from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and so if you want to jump in verse 17 of chapter 2 of Acts that's where we're going to start he says they're not drunk as you suppose but he says it shall come to pass that's not mine it jumped over to the songs let's try that one that one's mine <laughs> It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maidservants I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And so we have the first Holy Spirit-inspired message of the New Testament preached by Peter. It's the first message, New Testament message that wasn't spoken by Jesus. And people from all the region are there. And it says that 3,000 give their hearts to Jesus that day. You know, Peter's went on to say a whole bunch of other things, but I think the, the important part is what he just said. He said, in the last days, God is going to begin pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh. And that began on that day, but it only begins to intensify as we get closer to those last days. He goes and he doesn't connect it just to the day of Pentecost that we see in Acts 2. He said, you're going to see this more and more as we get closer to that great and awesome day of the Lord. Now if you remember back to October and November we preached a series for eight or nine weeks on the end times and it's talking about that day. The day when Jesus returns to gather his sons and daughters back to him and to ascend on high. And so as that day approaches what he just said in quoting Joel chapter 2 should become more and more common not less and less common. He didn't say it will happen less. He said he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so if you join me back in verse 17, we're going to take a look at this a bit. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so as you continue to read past that verse, you have to understand the context is he's saying this is about everyone and this is for everyone he said all flesh not some so everyone go ahead and say this with me all and the great thing about the Greek word for all is all means all. There's no messing around with it. You can't twist it to try and make it mean something else. All means all. And so when he said all, he meant all. And so if he meant all, he meant you. Okay. If he meant all, he meant you. Go ahead and say me. He's saying I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. And we can try our best to figure out how we can be disqualified or not stand in this, but there's nothing that you can do to change his mind. He said what he said, and he meant what he meant, and he meant you. Yes. And so it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Next verse, part of the verse, he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And you want to know what the great thing about that statement is? Everyone is a son and daughter of someone, right? That means, again, you qualify. And if you don't have earthly parents left anymore, you have a heavenly father. You are sons and daughters of Almighty God. So again, he's talking to you. And I've heard this passage of Scripture used to try and separate, well, this is for this person and that is for that person. But if you are a son and a daughter, you qualify. If you are a living, breathing human being, you qualify. And he goes on to say that your young men shall see visions and that your old men shall dream dreams. And one of the realities of being a human being is that you start young and eventually you get old and some of us get there a little quicker than we thought we would. But you know, it doesn't matter where you're at in your life, you once qualified in one of these positions. Young, old, you can be old and still feel yourself as young. But again, this is a, this is a qualifying statement, not a disqualifying statement. 
And so he's saying, sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men shall see vision. Old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that means he's saying it's not just for the elites. It's not just for the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, the missionaries, whoever. He's saying whatever quality or category of society you fit into, it's for you. It wasn't just for the free. Here he even included the slaves in it. He says, everybody qualifies for this. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And so if we look at what he said, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What, the word that is used there just means to speak forth by divine inspiration. And so I've heard this tried to twist to say this is talking about the office of the prophet. And there is an office. God gave gifts unto men, pastors and prophets, teachers, evangelists, but that's not what he's talking about. You can be divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit for the moment or the day that you are living in. You can speak forth from the Holy Spirit on the inside and see change. And so he said, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then he said, your young men will have visions. And the word vision that he said there is the act of seeing. Now, we have to understand that this is not sight. This is not you looking at me right now and me looking at you with all of your eyeballs back and forth. That's not what he's talking. That's the Greek word horao, which he's not using here. When he's talking about the act of seeing, it's the ability to look at the situation and know what you need to do and the pathway through. And so many of us look without looking. We walk into situations and we use our words and go before us and we say, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know how I'm going to get out of this. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you will give you vision. He will give you sight so that you know exactly what you need to do. So you need to let your words line up with that. When you feel like you don't know what to do, why don't you just substitute it and say, God, I'm just so glad I know what to do right now. I know that I hear your voice clearly. I see the path clearly. It doesn't matter if everybody else gets it wrong. I know, Holy Spirit, by you I will get it right. And so when he's talking about vision, he's talking about the act of being able to see where you're going and how to get there. And he said, your old men will dream dreams. And that's the word to dream divinely suggested dreams. And the thing about this this word is he's not talking about the dreams you have when you sleep. It's the dreams that get planted in your heart. And if we want to put a a differentiation between what vision and dreams are, to dream is to be able to see the destination. To have a vision is to know how to get there. And so this morning, I want to start a new series for you called Dream On. I I couldn't resist. You know, I just had to. Turn it up, Adam, they said. (laughs) And wherever we are at in our walk, in this life, we should never lose the vision and the passion to keep on dreaming. You know, I've preached messages in the past on, you know, setting faith goals and having a direction and where you need to go. And I had this one situation that I I had just preached this great, I thought it was an awesome message. You know, I think most of my messages are great. You know, I'm just, (laughs) I'll humble myself. 
but I had just finished preaching a, a message on, on faith goals and someone else obviously enjoyed it and they were talking to another person and I happened to overhear the conversation as I was going by and they were like, oh, that was just so great. What kind of goals are you going to be setting? And the person said back to me and said, well, I, I've got to the point in my life where I just don't set any more goals. I've done everything that I want to do and I have everything that they want to have so now I'm just riding out my life till the end. Those were their exact words and I can say this because they don't come here anymore so don't be like, is he talking about me? No. If you feel that way, change your thoughts. <laughs> no matter what stage you're at, we're, we're not talking about having dreams of starting businesses or anything like that, but there should be a passion in your heart to pursue the things of God and build others up every day of your life. There is never a point that you reach in your life where you become useless, that you no longer have a part to serve. There's always a dream that can raise up in your heart to help one more person to build up a dream in one other person. And so whatever situation of your life, as we started in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, it was a qualifying statement, and you qualify. You never stop qualifying. Because whether you're young or you're old, the Holy Spirit is still being poured out on all flesh. And so if we're going to talk about dreaming on this morning, I think a great place to talk about would be the life of Joseph because we call him Joseph the Dreamer, right? And so I think if we're going to talk about dreams and visions, we should probably start there. Are you ready for that? Well, let me just get a little bit lubricated here before we continue on. <sighs> And if we're going to talk about Joseph, we generally we would start right into the story and tell you about him, but I think it's important that we understand his background a little bit. Because, you know, background has a lot of impact and a lot of effect on where you're going. It doesn't have to be a binding factor, but most people let it be a binding factor. And so in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 23, it says this, The sons of Jacob were... 12. And so Jacob, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We call them the patriarchs. Or Abraham was the father of faith, Isaac was his son, and Jacob was his grandson. And Jacob had 12 sons. Big family. It says the sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulon. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. And these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Okay, so let's just go ahead and talk about the elephant. This is not your traditional nuclear family. There are four different women in this situation, and there's 12 kids between them. There's two wives, and then there's also kids with two servants. And so I want you to know how much you, if you think your background is screwed up, I think Joseph can qualify. This is not your standard, typical, what we would talk people, your holy union, okay? There's, there's, a, there's a lot of dynamics going on here, and it's pretty messed up. But you have to understand understand Jacob considered them all sons and God considered them all sons because that's how he wrote it and so however you think you disqualify because because of your upbringing God still sees you as worthy but I think the most important thing to note here is the last sentence these were the sons that were born to Jacob in Padan 
Aram. Why is that important to note? Because Padan Aram was not the land of promise. It was upper Mesopotamia. And so God had brought Abraham, their grandfather, the kid's great-grandfather, into the land of promise. And he said, look this way, look that way, it's all yours. Isaac lived in the land, and then Jacob didn't. And so there was a vision that God had planted for this family that these children did not grow up in. And that's important to know. It's not like this has become the, the, the promise that God has made to him is, is a staple that everyone talks about. It's like, oh, this is the land that God has given us. No, they're not even in the land. And so these children did not grow up in the land. They didn't grow up in the vision. They didn't grow up in the dream. They didn't grow up in the promise. And why do we point that out? Because we often look to why we can't because of where we came. Just because you didn't start there doesn't mean you can't end there. Just because you're not there now doesn't mean you can't walk into it today and tomorrow. And so your where you came from doesn't have to affect why you qualify. Because they weren't born in the promise doesn't mean they can't move into the promise. And just because your family grew up one way doesn't mean you can't walk in the fullness of what God has promised you today. Your where doesn't have to affect your why. And as we were talking about in our series with shift last week, shift number six was that we need to selectively edit our past so that we only include what God has said. And so if your past is saying you don't qualify, go ahead and disconnect yourself from it and look to the future that God has said. Don't let that be a shackle to stay here. Cut it off and move forward. And so just because the children weren't born in the promise doesn't mean that they didn't qualify. But it also tells us something interesting. That people of vision don't always pass on the vision. And we can see this in a natural sense. Someone comes from nothing. They build up an empire in, say, the business world. They work their life to create this thing only to pass it on to their children to watch it crumble away because the children never had the vision for it. And so vision, just because you have it, doesn't mean that your children will have it naturally. This is something that needs to be taught. This is something that needs to be trained, that we all have the ability to look and to see and to move forward. And so people of vision don't always pass on the vision. Because in this family, we had Abraham, the father of many nations, that God planted the vision in his heart, right? He had to change his name to Abraham so that the guy who had no kids would keep saying, I'm the father of many nations. How can you have nations come out of you when you don't have any kids? He changed the vision. But what happened with the next generation? Isaac lived there. But if we look at how Isaac ended his life, he ended his life symbolically blind and easily deceived. And I don't think things are just written for no reason when it comes to the Bible. It, it was not just that he was physically blind, he was no longer pursuing the promise. And God wants you to have sight. 
He wants you to have a vision for the future. And because Isaac did not have sight, he was easily deceived. And we see that today in the body of Christ because people have no vision. They have no sight. They are easily deceived by everything that everyone else tells them rather than what God tells them. And so the vision skipped a generation. And we end up with Jacob who starts his life with the name Deceiver. But God restores the vision and the promise for that family and changes his name to God prevails. And as I said, so as you started your life, doesn't have to be the way that you end it. So God changed his destiny and God changed the promise so that instead of him calling himself the deceiver all his life, he began to call himself God prevails. And so with that family background in mind, let's find our way over to Genesis chapter 37. And in verse 1, it says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. So between verse thir chapter 35, where it said his 12 kids were born in the land of Padanaram, not in the promise. God changed Isaac, J uh, Jacob's name to Israel, and he moved to the land of promise. And so between those two chapters, we've seen a great shift going on. There was a shift in Jacob, but now there needs to be a shift in the sons. And in verse 2 it says, this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding his flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So who's he talking about? Joseph has some issues with Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher. And this is interesting because though Jacob considered them sons, and God considered them sons, there was obviously a family dynamic going on there where there was some hitting of heads going on between those who were Rachel and Leah's and those who were Bilhah and Zilhah's kids. And so just because God views you one way doesn't mean you view you one way. Or the same way, I should say. And so it's important for us to let go of our background and view ourselves the way God sees us. And so Joseph has an issue and butts heads with these four brothers. In verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic of many colors. So what do we see different between verse 1, 2, and now 3? When we're talking about the regular family dynamics, his name is Jacob. But when it comes to matters of the promise, his name is Israel. And so God was wanting to fulfill the promise and preserve the vision, preserve the dream through Joseph. And so when Jacob was dealing with all his sons, he was Jacob. But when he was dealing with Joseph, he was God prevails. And he loved him more than his other kids, and he made him a tunic of many colors. And in verse 4 it says, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. 
No, I, I think as a kid, I, I can understand if my parents loved Christopher more than me, we might have a little more issues, but it's the other way around. They definitely love me more. <laughs> but when his brother saw the vision at work in Joseph, when they saw the promise at work in Joseph, it says they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now, it's interesting. The word that we, we read in our English as could not, it means in the Hebrew that they would not endure. And the Thayer's Greek lexicon or Hebrew lexicon for it says they would not contain or sustain. So it's not that they couldn't speak peaceably to him and that they couldn't make space for him. They wouldn't make space for him. And why is this important to know? Because two things will happen when you get around people of dreams and visions. Number one, you will be forced to upgrade your own vision. Or number two, you will attempt to tear down the visions of others. And we see this so clearly at work in so many situations around the world. When people lack vision, you either attach yourself to it or you try to destroy it. Because people don't like momentum when they want to stay where they are. And so it begins to aggravate you on the inside to you either have to be like, fine, I'll get off, off my butt and I'll start moving too. Or you say, no, let's kill him. And we know where the story goes, right? Because that's what the brothers chose. Rather than upgrade their vision, they tore down his. But God was at work in the vision. God was at work in the promise in spite of what they felt on the inside. And so it says they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. So in verse 5, it just makes it even worse that Joseph had a dream. <laughs> And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And this is where you got to guard the dream, and you got to guard the vision, and have a little bit of perspective to look around at who's moving and who's going to support this. And as the Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Be selective about who you share what with. Encourage everyone, but guard the vision and guard the dream. It's between you and God, and you don't need their approval to walk forward into what God has promised you. Amen? And so Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And you think that's where he should have left it. But verse 6, he said to them, come on, guys, please hear the dream which I have dreamed. It kind of sounds a little bit like my brother Jonathan. It's like he never knew when to stop pushing the buttons, and it usually got him beat up by his brothers. And so Joseph should have known when to, when to let go and to let off. But he pushed it even further, and he says, come on, guys, please hear the dream in which I'd hear I've dreamed. And there we were binding sheaves in the field and behold my sheaf arose and stood upright but indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf now you can just see why a younger brother would want to share this dream <laughs> Christian knows exactly what I'm talking about and so he pushes this and this is his brother's response his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? 
or shall you indeed have dominion over us? Now, on face value, it looks like they asked the same question twice, but there's a very important distinction. When they asked, shall you indeed reign over us, what they really said to him was, are we going to make you the boss? Are we going to make you the king and serve it? Or shall you have dominion? In order to exert dominion means, are you going to force this to happen, Joseph? Which what they were saying is, do you want to fight us for it? Are we going to just say, yes, you be the boss, Joseph, or do you want to fight us? And that's exactly the route that Joseph was pushing when he was pushing their buttons. He was about to get the beating of a lifetime. And it says, so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Guard the dream. Guard the vision. Verse 9, it says, then he dreamed still another dream. And he told it to his brothers. And he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. You think he would have learned the first time. And at this time, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So first he tells it to his brothers. And then it says in the next verse, and then he told it to his father and his brothers. So the brothers had to hear it twice. And his father rebuked him. Now, interesting. Israel, or Jacob, however you want to call him, had the same opportunity as the brothers. You can either upgrade your own vision or you can tear down the other vision. And so Jacob's first response when met with a greater vision than his own is to rebuke Joseph. And he says, what is this dream you've dreamed? Shall your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow down to the earth before you? And it says the next verse, though, so Jacob's first response to rebuke. But the next verse, it says, And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. That tells me he had a change of heart. His first response was like, I don't know, like where this is going, Joseph. The second one was, hmm, maybe there's more to work at this than I thought. Now, there's two people in the Bible who had this response. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus has been lost in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old boy. They, they travel three days before they realize he's not with them. That's kind of interesting. You know, I don't think we could make it three days without being like, where's Montgomery? <laughs> but they make it three days and they say, Jesus isn't here. And so they rush back to Jerusalem and they find him preaching in the synagogue. And they go, what are you doing? And he says, you know, guys, I have to be about my father's business. And it says, and Mary kept all these things in her heart. You know, she could have had the response to try and squash that. No, your responsibility is to us. But she recognized the vision in Jesus. She recognized the purpose in the dream. And so instead of standing in the way, she let him flourish. And so Jacob does the same thing. His brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his heart. Learn to recognize when a dream is at work in someone else and make space for them to flourish. Give opportunity to build them up. But it says his brothers envied him. Now this is interesting because all the other ones was they said they hated him. But now at this point they envied him and I think it's because of Jacob's response. Jacob's original response was, no, this won't stand. And then it was, no, let's make space for this. 
And so his brothers began to look and see what Joseph was going through was valuable. And that word envy is interesting. It, uh, it means to desire to have a quality, a possession, or other desirable attribute belonging to someone else. So the reason why they were trying to tear down Joseph is because they wanted what he had. But you don't need to tear down someone else's vision to make yours grow. And so don't look at the dreams of others and wish they were yours. Look inward, plant, and stir up the seeds of change. I don't know what the dreams are that God has spoken to you in the past. I don't know what He's stirring in your heart, but I do know that the season we are walking into, He wants you to stir it up once again. He wants you to start believing that it'll come to pass. He wants you to let you have your vision increase and your dreams grow. Because as we said in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. And they shall prophesy. Go ahead and say, that's me. Why don't you also say this with me? I am a person of vision. I stir up godly dreams. Holy Spirit inspiration is alive in me. And I have a future. Maybe you've been watching us this morning and you haven't even started your relationship with God. You know, there, there, this is no other place to start is you have to surrender your life and you have to give it over to Him. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't win your way to heaven. It says that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so we would love to pray with you right now if you'll pray with us and Jesus will come in to your life. Guys, come on, let's pray. Say, Father, I ask for Jesus. I receive Him now. I thank you for the new life that I start. And I look forward to the journey. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we would love for you to get in contact with us. We would love to get some resources into your hand and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. If you're in the Smith Falls area, we just say, welcome home. We would love to walk this journey together with you. But guys, this is just the start. God is wanting to stir up new dreams and new vision in you in this season. And he only works in hearts who are open to work with him. What do they say? A closed door receives no guests. Pastor Rob. Praise God. It is offering time. You know, I'm excited about being able to get together and uh, to do the, the offering with you. And we, we're going to go through the, our confession. This is my seed. But I want, want you to quickly look at uh, Matthew um, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 19. No? Okay. Let me tell it to you. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, We've just talked about prophecy, about prophesying. 
And so as we say this confession together with the seed that you're sowing today, and there's two ways you can sow it. You can go online and wordchurch.ca slash backward slash give, and or you can just, there's a basket in the back there. You can drop an envelope of, of whatever in that as you leave. And so there's two ways you can give that way. But what you're going to be doing or what we're about to do, if it's up there, <laughs> we're going to do this is my seed confession. And we're actually, you're prophesying this. We're agreeing with each other. Amen. But two of us agree. All right. And then you are the prophet of your of your own mouth. You get to say of your own life. You get to say these things and prophesy these things. Amen. So let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do, breast, grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I sow you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply. Harvest, I receive you. Lack, I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. You are blessed. Have a good day.